good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor, and you've reached the Digital Shop Talk Radio, where we gather on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock Central to uh, have our uh, panelists uh, share some things they've learned along the way. Today, I'm here with Bruce Williams, uh, Rivers Edge Services up in um, Canada. Uh, welcome back, Bruce. Been here with us before and have always got lots of great information to share. And Autobottle's founder, Uwe Kleinsmith, is here as usual to go ahead and help us um, steer in the right direction. So join us today for a discussion about acquiring another shop, merging them together, and implementing consistent operation processes. What did Bruce discover you know, during this change? What are some examples and their advantages and potential pitfalls you might run into? As always, teamwork is required in the shop to provide the best overall results. You take away some tips today about combining two shops, how they worked out for him and his staff. As always, you learn from our guest panelists who operate shops just like yours. So if you wouldn't mind getting us started here, um, let's see if we can't go ahead and, and stay on track here and, and get Bruce to go ahead and, and kind of share with us. Of course, thank you. Welcome, Bruce. It has been a while. I'm excited to have you back. And uh, I mean, we have now observed so many amazing developments in our industry, especially what used to be called the mom and pop shop owner, want, they want to expand because the digital shop and the teamwork and the staff now allows you to build a repeatable process. And, but it's hard. I mean, there is no, probably there's no school where you can go to and people tell you, and number one is this, and number two is this, right? So there's a lot of um, business owners figuring that out by themselves. And um, when I heard your story, I thought that was very uh, inspirational because um, you're not just purchased another location, you combine two shops into one. And um, as you shared with us yesterday, uh, it was a little daunting in the beginning because the second shop was needs to be filled with business. <laughs> and uh, so, but before we dive right into it, would you mind talking about you know, what are today your typical numbers, number of service base, maybe revenue, if you don't mind sharing, number of tax and, and, and service advisor staff or, or other staff, and then compare that with before you did this endeavor. Sure, sounds good. Um, thanks again, Bill and Uva for having me on here. And I uh, just wanna say hello to everybody that's watching. So yeah, um, so I'll start, maybe better to start in the past. Before I acquired this other shop, we were in the location we're at now, in a third of the building we're in. So we had about 4,000 square feet, four bays. We were running between three and four technicians and two service advisors at that time. And we had a great little revenue generating business. Uh, we had a really good name, but we were kind of busting at the seams and we had no room to grow. And uh, so, and over the last few years before I decided to do the expansion, I, I deal a lot with the local shops too. We, we send work back and forth, help each other out. And one of, one of the shops in particular was always having problems, 
either keeping staff or, or taking on finding a good technician so he could run it. And he was back and forth all the time and just having some issues. So we, we talked about it and a thought process came into my mind and said, well, why don't I buy you out? Because the people, the other two thirds of my building, those guys were looking for a new location too. And it just got my brain, uh, the cog wheels turning. And I thought, well, if, if they move out, I don't want anybody else moving in. I want to take advantage of this space. So then we, I made a deal with the landlord. I took over the whole building, which is 12,000 square feet. And uh, when I was talking to this other shop owner, he agreed to sell me all of his business and come work for me as a lead tech and bring his one other technician on board with us. So we went from four technicians to six. We went from 4,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet. We now have 12,000 square feet, 11 bays uh, with lifts in them, a dedicated wash bay, other service areas, a full lunch room, a full equipment room that's very well organized, uh, multiple offices. We have three service advisors on the counter and a service manager, which is basically a production manager. He oversees everything. And I, uh, I basically helicopter parent the whole place now and just kind of touch base on everybody and make sure everybody's happy and, and we're always moving forward. I thought you were gonna say, and I play golf every day. <laughs> Almost. I'm, I'm <laughs> actually getting out a couple times a week this year, finally. So it feels good to get back at it. And, and so, um, um, Cockhound AO, could you share yeah. so how many techs um, basically take care of how many cars per week or month or whatever you want? Uh, right now, we're averaging right around the 250 ROs a month uh, with our six technicians and or our dedicated wash, wash guy shop, shop helper. Our ARO, uh, I was just looking at the stats. When we first did the expansion, we were right around the 600 to 650 mark, and we've been posting over a thousand ARO every month for the last five, six months for sure. Because, uh, uh, and you know, I owe a lot of that to multiple different platforms. One, when we moved over, we switched. We had a point of sale system that was basically just a um, ticket writer. It didn't have the powerful things built into the background, so we made the jump to Protractor. Um, it was, again, just like everybody, it's kind of scary to change. And within a month of doing that, we couldn't even remember how the old system worked and we were just moving forward. It was awesome. Um, so uh, if I can- so, so you switched to Protractor at the same time as you expanded? Just after the expansion, yeah. So I think wow. it was two months after <laughs> switched over to Protractor and said, yep, yeah, let's just jump in. The other one was not giving us what we needed. Mm -hmm. uh, so Protractor is much better. Of course, with AutoVitals, we've been a turbo user of AutoVitals for many years. So we had that process dialed in, which was great. And then of course, uh, uh, you know, big shout out to my two business coaches um, for, I've been using them for years and they, every month we meet and we just keep finding small opportunities to tweak and just keep improving, making the customer experience better and better every month. So, but yeah, as far as ARO and, you know, this year we're, we're looking to hit a $3 million mark for the revenue for the year. So, and I'm looking for more technicians because we're turning away 10, 15 jobs a day. No problem. Wow. Wow. And 
Are, are you, is there some little man in your ear recession looming, recession looming, recession looming, or are you just plowing away? Um, a little bit of both. We're giving her and the business is here, but we are, we're really working, especially with my coaches to really recession proof the business. And that comes down to having solid systems and procedures in place. Um, mm -hmm. We've got, we've developed really solid uh, SOPs for the service staff up front, uh, right from complete check-in procedure, pre-booking appointment procedures, and that goes from everything from looking at all the history, bringing forward all the deferred work, all the recommended items from the inspections that we do. You know, our inspection numbers right now are we're getting over 40% edited pictures, uh, well over 20 pictures taken per inspection. Doesn't matter if it's just a simple courtesy or, you know, our oil change inspection or something. Uh, the bigger ones obviously have more numbers, but. Um, so we're getting very good quality inspections, which then creates uh, the opportunity to let the customer know of the health of their vehicle and what's coming up for maintenance. And of course, I think everybody out there in our industry right now is seeing the, the boost in people keeping their vehicles, not buying new ones, whether it's money issues or supply issues for new vehicles. There's lots of different reasons why. And there's no reason that they have to get rid of their car every couple of years now because we're keeping these cars running better and longer for our customers every day. Very cool. Um, so let's let's rewind the tape and put ourselves in the situation when you made the the plunge and so, so walk us through it what were your plans fears steps you took sure yeah so of course the whole idea was great and ideas are fantastic then there comes down to the funding issue because now we have to do renovations on a huge shop um, so whatever somebody quotes you on a renovation budget double it i, I give that uh, recommendation just double it and that's where you're probably going to actually land because there's always as you're going with the progress so that was a little bit scary we only had so much funds and um, the renovations went way over what we wanted but the other thing too is we officially or essentially had 4,000 square feet where we were making x amount of dollars the shop that I purchased was they were about 50 percent of what we were so best case scenario, I was going to only add 50% revenue, but I was tripling all my overhead, uh, rents, heat lights, like all that stuff for sure. Everything um, tripled. So I knew we had to work hard, dig deep, and it wasn't long before we really realized we thought we had great systems procedures in place, but we really had to dial them in and everybody, you know, had to be accountable for was happening in the shop the other things that we did is we sat down as a team and discussed them regularly it's like okay where we actually need to be doing this many hours a day per guy how are we going to get there what do we need to do so we really had to as a team dive deep in our systems procedures and really tighten them up you know simple things like all of our work areas had to be well organized because um, as most people know, a technician's time is $6 a minute. If he's wandering around for 10 minutes trying to find a tool, that's 60 bucks. I don't know anybody that would walk by 60 bucks sitting on the street. 
they'd pick it up. So we find a way to capture all those $60, all those 10 minutes. Um, you know, a very detailed, organized equipment room. So everything's there. Uh, parts return. When you get to the size we are now and the amount of uh, invoices we're doing and the amount of parts that are coming in, we pre-order all our parts and all it takes is for a customer to either not show up or reschedule, our parts counters get quite large. So managing that on a bi-weekly basis now, especially with our main supplier is very important. The year into when we did this expansion, I looked at our parts counter. I said, okay, we have to stop everything we're doing and go through this. And we had over $10,000 of parts that just needed to be returned sitting here. And it didn't even look that bad. It's amazing how it adds up. So we just learned, we really had to tighten that up. And like I said, uh, the point of sale systems, once we were on Protractor, that really helped because it was scary. The first year, it was kind of chaotic, trying to figure out where everything needs to go, how the process is going to work, how how everything's going to flow through this new shop. We, like I said, we thought we had it really dialed in at the old shop, but it was smaller and more manageable. When we, we expanded, it was a lot more work and we definitely found some pitfalls and we had to create systems to make sure that didn't happen again. And we did, and we still are every day. We're still learning. So how did you instill the culture in the team to bring up things as they happen or in a meeting or write them down? Or how did you, how did you make sure everybody is looking out and identifying potential for uh, tightening up the process? Uh, one thing we, we adapted was uh, daily morning toolbox meetings about our flow of what's coming in, where we're at, what's still left on the hoist, how are we going to manage it? Uh, and everybody's got their jobs organized that way. And then we have weekly meetings. We picked Wednesday at morning coffee break. We just extend it. And I bring up all the things that I've noticed as far, and sorry, in our daily morning meetings too, we also go over numbers from the day before. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows where we were, if we're behind, if we're ahead and all their jobs. So, and then the weekly meetings, we go over the numbers again as, as a group uh, weekly. And then also, I really let the team be part of the solution. And that's the key. You know, I can't just bark orders and tell them to do it. The team has um, the full power to bring up solutions to any problem they see. Uh, and that's what I really instilled in the guys. I don't want people coming to me with just problems and walking away. If you bring me a problem, bring me some kind of a solution and let's see if we can fix it. And then, and I'm a yes man. If you've got a solution to a problem, let's do it. We need more AC machines because we, we just can't share two of them. Let's buy more, let's just make it happen. So when they, it empowers them to be part of the solution and they know that they're gonna actually get some respect from me and things are gonna happen if they bring it up to me. You know, not all of their ideas are gonna be great ones and that's okay, but we don't know if they won't share them with me. So with those meetings that all comes out and you know, I had one technician have lots of ideas, lots of ideas. And now in the meetings, he doesn't have much more to say because we've implemented them all and things are running very <laughs> smooth. And it's like, well, I got some minor stuff to change in the inspections. But besides that, everything's going great. And that's the other thing in the weekly meetings, we refine our inspection sheets. So they're more detailed into the type of work we're doing. And um, just all the time, we're constantly making improvements weekly. Very cool. And 
was it a little scary for the staff to also be asked to bring a solution and not just a problem? Yeah, I think so, because typically, um, you know, technicians are just working on cars. They're, they're not asked to be part of the business discussions right. and where we're moving and what we're doing. So it, it was a bit of a new world, but we've got a great team now that has been together for, for the last three years, all of us for sure, because of uh, that's when we expanded. And they all are very proud to work here. They love helping with decisions to make it better for our customers. And it's just, it's um, a great place for them to work now. They can feel proud of something that they're helping build and grow. Right. I mean, just listening to you, it sounds like you have been confident from first minute on. I mean, were there any, any doubts or any redirections you had to take some turns because something didn't work out? Uh, a little bit. Like, we were pretty tight. Don't get me wrong. When we first did it, and I, I went to my lead tech. I'm like, wow, we got, we got to make some changes here or else we're never going to get ahead and never be profitable. So, it, and it, it all came. We didn't have to go borrowing money or do anything crazy or drastic. We just had to, the meetings, you know, take time, be patient, and keep making small improvements along the way. And we got there. And now, um, you know, even with, with my coaches, when they're coaching other people, they're using our examples and our numbers of what to do to help. And I've actually been asked by both of them to now start coaching with them and help out shops that, oh, cool. that are on that cusp of struggling. So, which is great. I love giving back to our industry and the community and, you know, everybody can bring something different to the table. And if we all work together, the industry is just going to keep getting better and stronger uh, for everybody involved. You know, our technicians, make a good paycheck uh, we put profit in the bank i make a good paycheck and that's what it's all about and our customers get a ton of value for the service we give them and we can afford to do that we can afford to have a dedicated wash guy to vacuum clean out the interior and wash the car before the customer picks it up so even our dealerships in our area can't even afford to do that anymore they don't have people doing it so we're we're actually leading Sorry. When you merge the two shops like that, what was the customer experience like bringing them from another shop into your operation that was run, I would assume, totally different? Well, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Our shops were run totally different. Um, fortunate, the, the guy that I purchased the company from had done some business training as well. So he had some system procedures in place, but um, uh, I don't know how to put it delicately, but it's kind of like old school place doing lots of discounting to keep people happy. Oh, I see. Which is more of an internal thought as opposed to what customers actually want is what I've, what I've learned. And when you, when you start realizing what customers really want or the good customers really want, it's not the discounts, it's to be taken care of and added value. So there definitely was some struggles. You know, I think we retained probably 30% of his customer base because of some of them weren't happy with the way we did things. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, they didn't have digital inspection process with all the pictures. You know, some of them just wanted it bare bones, dirt cheap and wanted to bring their own parts. Well, we don't do that period. We just don't, there's no other industry. You can't bring your own wood to the contractor to build your house. 
You know, it's just, there's no other industry that lets that happen or take the filling material to your dentist so we can put it in your teeth, right? So we just, we just don't let it happen. So some people weren't happy with that. So they're, they're okay to go find another shop that works more to their liking. And that's totally fine. Gives us more room to really spend, pay a lot of attention to our good customers and give them what they really want. But there was definitely some struggles with the customers. Cause of course, if you're thinking you're going to get X amount of revenue from the other right. shop you bought, and then you actually only get 30% of that. So there was another, holy cow, let's get busy. So, you know, and then we ramped up our social media presence, uh, which I think we've done a great job at. We're always on, you know, involved with the local community doing many, many things. And that really helps people like to support the companies that support the community around them. So we do that and just keep working. Everything we do, we're working towards the better customer experience period. Because that's ultimately, that's the customer. We can all fix cars. That's the easy part. It's managing customers' expectations uh, right from the booking appointments, the staging process, um, and the checkout process. Being Having enough time to go over all, all the items that we've identified coming up for their, the health of their vehicle, but having time to go over it in a way that you're not just throwing it down their throat. It's like, oh, you, you've got $2,000 worth of maintenance you got to do on your car. It's having an educated decision with them so they understand what they're, what you're actually looking at so that you can build a plan that fits their budget and their needs and keep their car running a long time so they don't have a breakdown that's stressful. They don't have to go buy a new car and they don't have to worry about it. Somebody else is taking care of it so they can worry about the stuff that they need to worry about, like getting to work, going home, get their lawn done, whatever the case may be. So in your case, this came about because you were networking with this other shop owner and basically it was just presented that way. Is there some things that, you know, there's plenty of opportunity in the marketplace right now, people retiring and so on. Are you looking for a customer base? Are you looking for employees that you can transfer? What are some of the things that would go in and help you make that decision to, you know, acquire somebody else's business and then try and merge it in with your existing? Probably a little bit of both, uh, as well as all equipment, right? Um, you know, right away, you can have all equipment to add bays, put it in place, um, and employees. Employees, I know in our industry, is a big problem, trying to find quality employees. And even in our local uh, trades program here, there's not a lot of people going through them. And a lot of the people that are, are thrown into it because that's what people, it's the only thing they think they can do as opposed to wanting, really wanting to be in this industry. So I think those are the more important things, getting all the equipment, getting the space and getting the technicians that can fix the cars. We can always get the customer bases if we're, you know, advertising right, being in the community and doing a great job. So, so it sounds like, you bought three times the space, you had three times the overhead, you had planned your uh, initial revenue plus the revenue from the other shop, which was together not enough to meet the three times expansion and you realize it's just 30% of the other shop. So, so you had to fill 
uh, a pretty big gap. How how long did it take you to fill it, and and how anxious were you to get there? I mean, how how did it affect you in your decision making? Um, well, definitely, I was pretty anxious to get there, for sure. Um, it it took us, and of course, all through this, it wasn't long after this expansion. The year later is when COVID hit too. Exactly. <laughs> And that's exactly when we were really trying to build our customer base to grow and then COVID hit. But I was fortunate enough to um, just keep advertising and people, you know, the other thing I'm fortunate enough with is our website, which is uh, actually taken care of by Auto Vitals. And we, because we've been doing it for a long time with you, we were quite high on Google, if not number one in the first two or three. So that was very fortunate. We get, you know, right now we're pretty much everybody that knew that comes in the door is Google, Google, Google. They found us, we're the guys. And of course our ratings are good asking customers for reviews from that. So that's really helped. And to be honest, before I expanded, the reason I wanted to expand is we were turning people away at that point too. You know, we were two, two weeks built, uh, built or booked out in the summertime for sure all the time. So, and that's what we're finding now. We're just, we're turning away too many people. So we had the people calling to help fill the shop as well. I just didn't have the space or the technicians. So that did help sort itself out. But once COVID hit, of course, that was scary for the whole world. Everybody, nobody knew what was happening. We really, it gave us time to focus and dial in our systems and procedures and just refine them to where they're at today, which is, I think we're about 90% to where I really want to be. And was there some impact on pay for the technicians or the staff through the pandemic or were you just footing the bill and let's just get through it and improve our business? Uh, to be honest, as soon as COVID hit, we had a, about a three week shutdown because okay. nobody knew if you were allowed to work. And right. as soon as we knew we were allowed to work because we're essential service, everybody was back to work that day we had enough work waiting everybody was there and we kept everybody working yeah, at least to a 75 80 percent capacity so we got everybody right back right away and just kept moving forward at that time so would you say and it sounds weird what i'm going to say that the pandemic as bad as it is also gave you an opportunity to fine-tune and hone your business practices absolutely for sure. You know, um, throughout any kind of diversity or adversity like that creates opportunities and it, you know, it forces you to think outside the box. It's really easy to get stuck in your lane, right. uh, thinking you know it all and everything's going along good. But if you just get out of that lane a bit, you see, well, wow, if we do this and this and this, we can actually create a better product and make more revenue. So it's, uh, and that's, Learning from that, that's why I'm a yes man now. It's like, yeah, if you see something you want to do and you think it's going to work, let's do it. Because mm -hmm. it's way better to take a chance on it and learn from it than to not even bother because you'll never know. Have um, you so noticed that you take higher risks now that it paid off taking risks in the past? Yes, definitely. Uh, 
when I started my business years and years ago in a one base shop all by myself, I never took any risks and I moved very slowly and expanding. And looking back, if I would have done this 20 years ago, uh, I would be way further ahead. So definitely it's worth taking the risk because it creates um, the anxiousness like you talked about. So that means you have to go produce. Yes. It's, it's too easy. Like I said, just stay in your lane and just be comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not working hard enough. You're not testing. <laughs> like, let's push yourself. You know, if you're ready to retire, sure. But keep pushing yourself and make an exit strategy and let somebody else push it. Because why not? And that's where I, that's the headspace I was at at the time as well as uh, kids are pretty much all grown up. You know, they're, they're all in high school. I'm not coaching the sports anymore, things like that. And I just had more time to really focus. And I'm like, yeah, let's turn up the dial and let's go for it. Let's take a chance. Um, my wife was a really big supporter. Says, "Yeah, if you if that's what you want to do, let's do it. Go for it. Push yourself. Because why why be comfortable? I could have just stayed to where where I was at and been comfortable. But mm -hmm. you know, we took on a lot of stress and anxiety. But it made us the top shop in town now, as far as I'm concerned. So, and we're expanding, trying to expand even more. Very cool. Yeah. I would love to, you, you, you said earlier, you mentioned um, things like appointment making, staging, exit uh, interview. Would you mind um, taking maybe those, I call them the workflow steps and, and maybe use one you think had one of the biggest impact and, and explain how it was before and how it is now so i don't know which one that is but right i think um, looking at all the so we have we have four dedicated ones for sure that we use all the time one is staging the work order for our pre-book clients so stage it out early have everything added make sure the customer knows what what we've identified and then give them an opportunity to either schedule those in or move them to future Next one is when the customer arrives, whether they're a, a returning customer or not. Um, the, the review process at the counter. So the service advisor knowing exactly what the customer is asking, the customer knowing exactly what the service advisor is recommending, and the detailed notes that go back on the tablet to the technician. So they don't have to walk up and ask, uh, I, I hear there's a clunk or it says diagnose clunk, but what does that mean? When does it happen? You know. The more questions they have to ask up front, the more time they're wasting getting the job done. So that one is a big one. Um, How did that come about? Did the technician tell the service advisors in your daily slash weekly meetings, guys, the information is a little short? Uh, yeah. Could, could you do X, Y, Z on top of it? That's exactly when it comes up in our weekly meetings, saying um, back from the technicians, you know, giving them the that go ahead to voice their opinions like on these diagnostics, we need more information so we can do a better job. Because, you know, walking all the way across 12,000 square feet to go ask a silly question, right. they don't want to do it either. Right. So they would right. rather just have as much information on the tablet as possible so they can just get right at the job. 
Um, so that's that's exactly where that came up in the in the weekly meetings, so we can make a better process. Um, and then our our phone calls, you know, um, once we've done the inspection, the phone call about reviewing the inspection, letting the customer know we're building the estimate, we're going to send it out to them. Um, some of it is necessary work, safety concerns. Some of it is uh, future maintenance. Some we can defer, and we'll discuss that at pickup, and then. Um, at pickup, the pickup process is really, I think, the biggest one when the customer's picking up, as long as they've already known exactly what they're getting today, it's about setting, um, setting the seed or planting the seed for the next appointment, what they can expect from us, and really setting the expectation, the customer's expectation of what they are going to get when they come to River's Edge for any kind of service or repair. We've definitely had people that say, we don't want any of that. And we're totally okay. The service staff knows that they're say, allowed to say to the customer, it's like, well, then I guess um, we're probably not a great fit as a shop for you, but we can recommend a few shops that probably are. And it's okay. We do it in a very positive way because that's okay. Not everybody's a fit for every shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny how human nature is to spend so much time on a negative or solving something that is outside of your system procedure instead of just letting it go and really dial in and focus on the positive customers that are the ones that never complain and they just pay their bill and they do what they say and yet we don't work so hard and go out of our way to give them anything extra we always do that for the customer that's dropping in at last minute that it's never going to come back and everything else. So we really focus on our really good customers. And, and I assume it was a big decision because it's time consuming, right? Exit, exit scheduling is one of the, I would almost say unsolved challenges in the industry because it's a high pressure point from a, from a timing perspective, right? People want to get home. Call is, call is fixed, so why do you need to tell me more, right? You have my money. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's why we really try to do, you know, plant the seed along the way with the other steps, let yeah, them know so we don't have to explain everything that we found at the pickup stage. Mm -hmm. Let them know when we send the inspection, the conversations during the day. So when they do pick up the keys, it's as simple as, this is exactly what we did today. You bought what you approved today. We're, you know whether we can save them a couple bucks at that time or not. And then we've now scheduled you just like we talked about earlier. You're scheduled in three months from now. Where is what we do here is we schedule everybody for a Sunday, and then we let them know that the week prior to that Sunday we're gonna give them a call, slot them in our schedule based on what they're available. Because most customers that we found, they don't know exactly what they're doing three to four exactly. months. Mm -hmm. So we, they know that they have another appointment coming up in three to four months and that they're going to get a call so we can refine it and fit it in to their, their schedule. What fits best for them? Right. Uh, and that seems to be working quite well. Customers are a lot more inclined to take that appointment than to say, no, no, I'll just give you a call. If you try to lock them down to a date and time, a lot of them will just say, well, I'll just figure out what I have, what I'm doing in November and I'll give you a call. And that doesn't work very well. So for shops that are just starting out into the inspection that, that kind of booked their day, 
how do you handle the fact that you, there's a lot of discoveries made that you can't go ahead and get done today and your schedule's already full? Do you have a fear of putting that off for a later date or you just try and cram them in there? You know, what is your process to help them through that um, opportunity for improvement that most shops find when they, they start doing a good needs discovery? Well, I know we used to deal with that a lot too, Bill, and that's in our drop-off conversation. Uh, we, again, very transparent with our customer that we'll be doing your oil change. With that today comes a very um, extensive inspection. And if there's anything safety severe, we'll let you know right away. If we can get that taken care of today for you and fit it in our schedule, we will. If not, we'll have to schedule it out as uh, the earliest convenience for both of us so you're safe. And anything that can wait, we'll discuss that and we'll fit it in as soon as possible, depending on the urgency of your of your needs. So it's already pre-set up that we're going to possibly find that, have that conversation later, and we'll do everything in our power to get the safety stuff taken care of so they're, they can actually drive home safe and confident with their vehicle and reschedule them. Everything else can more than likely wait at least two weeks, if not at the next service type schedule. That sounds how a doctor's office works. You go in there to get a physical and you might get sent to the emergency room or you might go ahead and have procedures scheduled going out into the future. That's right, yeah, that's perfect. And did you, did you buy a few more loaners in case they just want to leave the car there or is, is it mostly like you just described it's more like two weeks out, not two days. Yeah, it's more like two weeks out because we are pretty booked. Um, so we don't have any loaner cars here, but we offer um, shuttle service to and from work, okay. to and from home. And if it's somewhere somebody needs a vehicle, we offer to arrange a rental car for them so they can do it. So right. they can take care of it. And um, depending on the circumstance, we can negotiate a pretty good rate with the rental companies. Maybe the customer is going to pay for part. We're going to pay for part. Depends. Everything can be negotiated to, you know, create a good customer experience for them. You know, if we're tearing something apart to diagnose it and we cannot put it back together for them, we feel a little bit responsible, even though we're not. So we do everything we can to help out our customer and make it convenient. Really, ideally, most people have another form of transportation or some way to get to and from work. Um, at least in our community, maybe in some of the big centers, it's different, but most people have another way if they have to, they don't want to ever, but if they have to, there's usually a way. Um, I would like to go to something you said in the um, pre-meeting yesterday. Yep. You were super confident to share basically the dollar amount of deferred services you have on the books. So that means you have some um, algorithms some process implemented where this is a goal KPI for you. Can you, can you tell us how that works and how you calculate this? Yeah, so um, we do multiple different things. Obviously with our inspection process, we identify any concern that is visually identified like, you know, dirty fluids, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the other thing we've really been doing a good job at or our service team is with dirty fluids is explaining 
Now that you've missed the boat for maintenance, now we're almost in a repair procedure trying to oh, clean out your differential. Because if it's already dirty, just servicing it is not going to clean it very good. You're going to have to actually do some catch-up servicing. So the service staff's really good. Now is the thing, training the service staff on what a service procedure looks like, what it should be, intervals. We have the maintenance, um, a River's Edge maintenance plan built into Protractor, which recommends all the different maintenances at the right um, interval for mileage and time. So going back, we take all of that identified stuff and then we look at all the vehicle's history, how long, maybe the customer's only been here one other time, so we don't have a lot of history, but we are tied in with Carfax, so we look at that. If there's not a lot of value in the Carfax because they haven't been to a shop that um, uploads to Carfax, then we have a conversation with them about, we have no history on your car, so we don't know when anything's been maintained. If you don't have records, we're gonna build you a maintenance plan that's gonna be a catch-up maintenance plan to get all your fluids caught up, your maybe your timing belt caught up, so you don't have a breakdown. And explain to them that doing proper maintenance is actually gonna save them time and money in the long run. So we look at all those pieces and then the service team, and that's why we need at least one service advisor per two technicians, if not more, because this takes time. Now they have to estimate all those services um, repair procedures, maintenance services. So they estimate them all, all of that deferred work. We have a 300 rule, 100% cars get inspected, 100% of that stuff gets estimated, and then 100% of that gets um, articulated to the customer. So the customer knows exactly the health of their vehicle when they leave and what it's gonna cost them. So then now they choose to not do it, it goes into the deferred work bank. And you know, on average, I think last we're, we're at least in the $250,000 range every month. Last month was almost $340,000 of deferred service that we couldn't do, but now it's in the bank for future that we know that a lot of these services are coming up for customers and uh, it's great for their next service. So now we have some add-on services for catching up and it keeps them from having a breakdown. So, so that's very impressive. I'm just wondering, a declined job, which becomes a deferred one, does is not necessarily one where your customers next time say yes when they said no this time. Do you have another what's the word attribute? You know, if they keep saying no, is my point, then yeah. it's not a real deferred service, right? So. Right. Do, do you have a kind of a qualifier that the chance that your deferred work is being sold is, is high? Well, it's, it's what we do because the tracking and protractor, every time the customer comes back in, all the deferred work gets put back on. Right. And if they decline it again, it goes back in. And then in their deferred work, there's actually a timestamp every time that happens. So our rule is once somebody's deferred, a maintenance service three times, we're having a real conversation with them about I see. their maintenance preferences. And maybe that we're, if they're not a maintenance customer, they're not gonna go, they're not our priority customer. So they're not gonna go to the front of the line. They're not gonna, we're not gonna go the extra value for them because they don't wanna uh, work with our system procedures. And we may just get the basic off them or maybe they might wanna find another shop that doesn't waste their time with 
all this because it does take time. So okay. if, they keep, if they defer it three times, then we have a serious conversation and take them off the right. maintenance plan and don't waste our time and effort into them. And we put it into our good customers that do There's want. Three strikes out. Oh, Ken has, a, has two questions. Um, how, how long did it take and how, oh, lots of questions. How long did it take <laughs> and how did you build the Riverside maintenance plan inside Protractor? That's two questions in one. And then does it really help the front desk? That's a facetious one, Ken. Okay, so I'll start with the first ones. How long did it take? Well, fortunately for me, uh, my coach is also a protractor um, user. He's been, he used it forever at his shop. And so he had a template made already. So when we launched with protractor, he was my guy and he built, put the template in to the system. We still have to go through every new customer and actually turn it on for each customer as we build the work order. Um, and then we just set, we went in and set all our um, mileage based intervals to suit what we wanted. It was very close already, but it was pre-made by the guy that got me onto Protractor. So that one was easy. As far as um, the service staff, it, we just added it to our system procedures. As you're going through, you're not allowed to click past it. You have to turn it on. You have to go in and remedy it because you know if you have a gas vehicle, it also, the maintenance plan has diesel stuff. So we clean it up and look at it and turn it on and, and have that conversation with the customer about what that maintenance plan is for and that it's there so we can take care of our customer's vehicle. So it lasts longer for them and saves them money. Do you have a formal interview uh, process you use for a new customer versus a, a returning customer? We actually do, Bill, is what we created. We created a company brochure that we have at the front counter. So with that brochure, um, it starts off as for a new customer. We talk about welcome to River's Edge. You know, we find out how they heard about us. And we, we say, it's just, we're going to take a couple of minutes of your time. I'm going to go through who we are, what we do. And one of the first things is, is that, we do, we do do an inspection every time you are in the shop, whether it's a courtesy inspection or more. And there's a checkbox that for our guys that have that conversation with that customer, then the next checkbox is called maintenance preferences, which means now me and John are gonna have a conversation about what are their maintenance preferences and ideology around maintenance. So we get to know the customers and they might say, well, I don't know, I just, Go when my car says I have to get the oil changed, I just get it changed. So now we know where their headspace is at, so we can have an educated conversation with them about where what we do and how we do it and, and the values of that. And then inside the brochure explains all our maintenance procedures, um, our warranties, our team. Uh, it's just a two-page maintenance or, or company brochure. So gives the new customers a picture of who we are, what we do and the professionalism and the value that we're here to give them. And that's been working really well. When customers see that, that they're completely blown away that we do that in the first place, just like they're completely blown away that we have that quality of inspection process and the pictures and stuff that they get. Um, customers that have never seen it. Even I have one technician that's working for us now that was a 25 to 30 year old or 30 year uh, dealership technician 
at a local Dodge dealership and then down in another city in the province at a Dodge dealership. And he says, we are leaps and bounds above where they're even at in technology terms. So that's pretty cool. Customers are completely blown away by that. Very, very cool. I see we had another- similarities. I see some similarities between what you've done is, is merging another shop into your existing. And also there's a lot of shops out there that have lost a large number of employees and now they're bringing in a bunch of replacement at the same time. So do you see some similarities in, in how you done in handling the situation of bringing in multiple employees at the same time being handled in a similar manner? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a big learning curve when you bring in people over, whether it's a new person or somebody that's got a lot of bad habits ingrained or don't even know a different process. So, and again, it goes back to patience, having patience with them, give and letting them know that we are here to help them and train them and make sure their mindset is the same as ours of, of why we're doing it. We're not doing it for to line our pockets or to line their pockets. We're doing it for the customer experience. That's going to be recession proofing our business per se, and make it a long, great career for all of us. And in the meantime, we all get paid well to do it too. So it's a win-win-win. It has to be a win for everybody. It has to be a win for the technician. It has to be a win for the shop. And if for sure, it has to be a win for the customer. But changing the process is not perceived as an immediate win when you approach people. So how, how did you do it? I mean, how, was there pushback? And, and how did you overcome pushback? Uh, there was some pushback. Um, short story is there, this is how we do it. So we're going to work together to figure it out. We're not going to not do it. Right. It's a non-negotiable. Like you said, these things are the non-negotiable bucket. Wow. How we get there, we can negotiate that. We're going to offer, offer you training and help and figure it out. And it's going to benefit. You'll see the benefits once it's there. Trust us. I trust in my technicians. They also have to trust in me that, right. that I've got them too. And just having those conversations that they're part of the solution, not just order takers, really helps in that process. Right. Would you mind sharing uh, your, your payment structure? How you, what do you? Okay, uh, yeah, up here in Canada, we are not flat rate, we're hourly. Um, so everybody's paid their eight hours a day, five days a week, um, straight up. Doesn't matter if they're pushing a room or fixing cars. So right. it's my job to keep the shop full of cars for them to work on. Um, and that's what we do. We've got for the technicians anyway, uh, and they're paid top of the industry. They're paid at least as much as the dealership techs or more. Uh, cause I, I'm a firm believer if, if they're generating revenue, why wouldn't, why can't, or why shouldn't they be rewarded also? Right. Because not everybody's motivated by money, but they need to have a good wage to also have a happy, happy life and family and everything else. So right. do you have another bonus on top of it or another incentive of any kind? Um, not for the technicians. Uh, okay. We do have a bonus structure that we've been running quite successfully for the last six months for the service staff. Mm -hmm. So they have a base salary plus bonus based on labor hours sold, that starts at certain amounts and things like that, that has I been see. working very well. So they're really, uh, and it 
their parts margins comes into that as effect too. So it gets their emotional bank account gets now ignored because it cuts into their own potential bonus. Right. Uh, I've been tracking it very closely because I know it's a slippery slope with bonuses, but they have not been, they're not gouging or overselling. They're only selling the identified work. They're not discounting it to try to get the work. It just is what it is. So they're actually, it created more confidence in me. You know, my service team is, is pretty young and fairly green and they, you know, they would just feel bad if it was a $2,500 repair. So they right away before the customer said anything, they'd kind of find ways to discount for them to make them feel better. But the customer never even asked. They just want to know when they got the car back. Right. So it, it stopped that and, um, and it really helped them to uh, be able to push themselves out of the comfort zone with the checkout process with booking that next appointment because now they want the customers to come back. They really do because it also affects their pocketbook and ideally it's better for the customer, which they all knew it just having that extra push to really have those solid conversations. So that has helped with them, but our technicians are paid hourly, like hundred year plus for our senior technicians, hundred grand a year plus for them, no problem. So they're paid, they're paid well. Very cool. So Ken, Ken is on a roll today. Maybe um, reach out to Bruce via the Auto Vitals for Messenger. Of course, I yes, see. of course. Uh, I'm I'm open to, to having uh, Zoom calls with people. Any questions they have, I can show all my systems. Uh, you know, we're definitely here to help out for sure. So reach out to me, and we'll schedule something up for a conversation. And he's also asking whether you would be willing to share one of your brochures um, with other shops. And, and if the answer is yes, I would just propose once we um, post the recording of this yep. uh, podcast, if you could um, just attach one of the brochures with, you know, the, the um, reference to the recording. So it's not out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Um, I'll just post, cool. post it in there and show an example of uh, the brochure for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Cool, so we're down to the end here. And what I'd like to do is, is whether you're merging another shop with yours or whether you're replacing a lot of crew at the same time, perhaps, what are the top things uh, that some, you know, somebody listening should be having on their mind to go and motivate those people and what type of timeline should they expect to get it done in, knowing it's not going to happen overnight? Wow. Yeah, timeline, that one's tricky because you never know what it's going to take. But uh, like I said, bringing people on board, explaining who we are, what we do, and why we do it um, has really made the new technicians feel very positive and comfortable being here. So, And being part, letting them be part of the solutions for the shop and build it they they really have a lot of pride in knowing that what they say matters and helps out the shop so they can walk around wearing the logo on their jacket and feel proud of that and people will stop stop them and say hey oh yeah my brother goes there i heard great things about you and they'll be very proud of that right mm -hmm. um timeline you know even all our new technicians it takes them only a couple of weeks to be totally proficient with the tablet and the system when they, especially they understand 
because we're not flat rate, like I give my technicians an hour on their tablet to do an oil service inspection. So they have lots of time. And we only bill our customer um, 0.6 for that same thing, but we give our technicians an hour. But our technicians now we're running well over uh, 150% efficient and we're over 100% proficiency all the time. Now, because they're getting eight hours a day because we have our daily meetings about it, easily sold for the shop. You know, some people are getting 12 to 14. Some people are getting three some days because of weird diagnostics that go sideways or whatever. But as a team, we know at the end of the week, we need this much and there are this many hours sold. So everybody lifts each other up. And that's the other thing is having everybody in the shop working together to lift each other up and make a better, better product for our customer as a team. Teamwork really does work. So having everybody hour, hourly kind of takes that whole equation out of there and puts the making things get done back on the management of the business rather than out of the technician's pocket. That's exactly right. That's how I feel about it. I know there's, uh, there's different systems, different hybrids and ideology, but when they're not worried about, you know, their hour sold is their paycheck, they get their paycheck and the whole, the whole shop's got to win because if the shop doesn't win, the shop won't be here to keep feeding them a paycheck either. So it, it's all, all the hands feed each other all the time and we make a, a great product for our customers. And then the technician also gives them the time to be able to go out and talk to the customer and not worry about that is the clock's counting down because they can talk to the customer, explain things that maybe the customer wants to know exactly why something happened. So they, they have the freedom to go and talk to the customer and it's not counting down the clock on them either. Cool. So Bruce, once again, I'd like to thank you for joining us here today. Lots of great information and, um, you know, maybe we can get the questions and answers going on the forum also. And um, I'd like to go ahead and for everybody that joined us live today, thank you and um, go out there and, um, you know, help um, some other shop owners by referring them to autovitals.com forward slash radio. There's all our podcasts there. This is number 178. So there's plenty of wisdom there to be um, farmed for sure. And go out there and make some money and, and wow your customers in the process. Thank you, Bruce. We certainly appreciate it. But thank you very much. I appreciate it as well. Thank you, Bruce. That was an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, to everybody that's watching or does watch it, reach out on the Facebook group, ask any question you want. I'm here to help out for sure. I love giving back. Thank, Thank you. you.